Thank you so much for joining us uh, for this special time of worship. Uh, if you have a Bible, and I hope you do, we'll be turning to Isaiah 53 for just a few moments of our time this evening. We'll conclude in just a few moments around the altar uh, celebrating the Lord's Supper, but I feel like it's most appropriate that we talk about what this table represents and what this day represents most of all. Uh, you know, we often rope Good Friday in with Easter Sunday, understandably so. Um, you know, we know all the gory details of Friday, uh, but we also know how it works out. So it makes it a little bit easier to cope with the horror that Good Friday brings us because we know of the hope that Easter Sunday brings. It's kind of like a movie with a cliffhanger releasing on the same day that its sequel comes out. Uh, yeah, the, this, the, the movie with the cliffhanger is, 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 is mind-blowing and, and it makes you wonder and makes you worry, makes you think, how's this going to work out? But you can just turn on the sequel and read about how it's going to go or watch how it's going to work out. So there's not a lot of uh, stress. There's not a lot of wondering. There's not a lot of thinking because you just know that it all works out fairly quickly. Uh, but with the events of Good Friday being so important, I think, that it's, I think that's why it's so important that we pause on this evening to reflect on what Jesus did for us on this day 2,000 years ago that sets up, of course, uh, the great finale that comes in just a few days. I think there are two words that really punctuate and really captures very succinctly and very to the point, really captures what Good Friday is all about. And that are the two words, for us. I think that if you want to summarize what does Good Friday mean and what is the message of Good Friday, what is God's word to us on this Good Friday, it is He is for us. Good Friday promises us and proclaims to us and makes clear to us that God is for us because Good Friday was for us. Good Friday is our forever reminder that God is for us. If you have, if anybody asks you, hey, what is this day about? Or why do you make such a big deal about this day that some Jewish carpenter was crucified so long ago? It's because we know for a fact, based on what God did for us this day in history, that God is for us. And if God is for us, that is the greatest news we could ever cherish and treasure in our hearts. No matter how Easter Sunday rights every wrong that Friday calls, the fact that Jesus would go to the cross and die the way he did, suffer the way he suffered, forever settled on heaven, in heaven and on earth, God's thoughts towards you and God's posture towards you. If you ever wonder, how does God feel about me? If you ever wonder, how does God feel about that sinner or those sinners? What is God's feelings or posture or thoughts towards any or all of us? Good Friday makes it very clear. God is for us. The, the Apostle Paul summarizes it better than I could. Romans 5. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. Who are the ungodly? Well, it's anybody and everybody that is far from God. Now, there, ungodly is a pretty broad term. It, it can mean anything that is not on God's side. All of us, right, have fallen short of the glory of God. All of us are ungodly categorically, from the small sins to the great sins, from the abominable sins to the little white lies that no one else knows about. All of us are in that category, ungodly. All of us are weak. All of us or none of us can do anything for ourselves. But on Good Friday, Christ died for the ungodly. And I love how Paul kind of pitches it here. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person. 
It, it, it makes sense that somebody was willing to go so far for someone who was a good person or for a righteous person. And maybe not, it might be a stretch to say somebody would actually die for someone that's just considered good. For God, for, for scarcely one would die for a righteous person, perhaps for a good someone would dare to die. But God shows his love for us. As in we're not righteous and we're not good. We're far from those, right? We are ungodly. We are unrighteous. We are not good. And God shows his love for us, ungodly, not good, unrighteous creatures. In that, while we were still sinners, or while we were still sinning, God sent Jesus to die for us. Because before you ever had a chance to choose to sin, Christ died for your sins. Christ died for who? For us. So if Christ died for us, then that means that God is for us. And the Apostle Paul summarizes this all later on in Romans 8. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? So what does Good Friday remind you? And what should Good Friday tell you, tell you every day of your life, no matter what you face and what you're coming up against and who is coming up against you? From your past, your present, even what might come around the corner in the future, Good Friday reminds you that God is for you. And if God is for you, what or who can be against you? You never have to wonder where you stand with someone that was willing to die for you, right? Especially someone that was willing to die the death of a Roman cross. For the next few minutes, I'd like to impress on all of us just what it means to say and know that God is for us. And I think Isaiah 53 is the perfect text to to see that in and, and hear that from. The amazing thing about Isaiah 53 is it was written some 700 years before Jesus came. God's Messiah was prophesied to come and do a work for people, not for himself, not for only a few or for some that earned it, but for all of us. And that is the clear emphasis that God was doing something for us or going to do something for us so that we would never have to question where we stood with him. But there's more to it. God wanted to provide for us a way out of the mire that sin has left us in. And and, and here's the thing about I don't know all of you personally, I don't know all of your stories, but I know this, that all of you are well acquainted with sin. All of you have been affected by sin, whether uh, you're on your own terms or on someone else's terms, your own choices or someone else's choices. And because you are so well acquainted with sin, sin has made you well acquainted with all sorts of terrible things, grief, sorrow, pain, suffering, and hopelessness. That because of sin, we are all well acquainted with and very next to and close to grief and sorrow and pain and, and, and the feelings that they bring upon us, hopelessness. God's gift to us on this Friday and through Good Friday is that Christ did something for us that we can receive from him a remedy, a healing that if we simply trust that he did this for us, that what happened to him was no accident, no coincidence. It was God's initiative to do something for us and that God invites us to trust him and to find in him the help we cannot find in this world. It requires one thing though. It requires that we admit that we come to terms and be honest with the fact that we need a savior. 
Now, whether we verbally use those words or not, all of our actions every day, and again, I don't know all of you, I don't follow you around, I don't watch you every day, but I know this about all of us. All of us every day, our actions suggest that we desperately long for a Savior. The way we cling to this world for answers, the way we cling to things of this world for meaning and purpose, because we feel so empty inside. We chase after dreams. We pour ourselves into so many passions, trying to feel accomplished and significant and feel full. We try to soothe our pain with things from this world. We put our hope in people and places that have not our best interest in mind. Yet we lie to ourselves and we hope that maybe they actually do because we want to have some sort of peace and security. You know, it's good that our security blankets are taken away sometimes because the systems and structures of this world we can't rely on them. And they crumble underneath us and they prove unstable so that we might admit that we need more than this world can give us. God sent Jesus to this earth to live a life well acclaimed with sorrow and brokenness that we attempt to hide or cover up and that we hope maybe one day will go away. Though he had all the power in the world, he didn't use any of that to counter this world's blemishes. He felt the full blunt brunt of this fallen world. The last few hours of his life took this to an extreme place as he was led to the most desolate and barren place called the skull or called Calvary. Listen to Isaiah as he describes what Jesus experienced in that three-hour period where he hung on that cross. Isaiah 53, verse 4 and 5. Surely he has borne our griefs. If you, if you underline or you highlight in your Bibles, that's something worth underlining. He bore your griefs. He carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities or our sins. The chastisement for our peace was upon him. And by his stripes, we are healed. Or in his stripes, we find our healing. So, so notice the words that we, we find here. Our griefs, our sorrows, our transgressions, our iniquities. Contrast that with our peace and our healing. So Jesus felt the worst things of this world so that we might receive the best things of his world, of heaven. It says he was, he was grieved, he was full of sorrow, he was stricken, he was smitten, he was afflicted, he was wounded, he was bruised, he was chastised, he was beaten and left with stripes. I want to just show you a snapshot of what took place the morning of Good Friday and, and early afternoon of Good Friday that Isaiah previewed with just a few words. When Jesus was arrested, he was taken into custody. And the gospel tells us the men who were holding Jesus in custody were mocking him as they beat him. They also blindfolded him and kept asking him, prophesy, who is it that struck you? So Jesus was mocked, humiliated, but not only that, he was beaten with clubs by these temple guards. They spit in his face. They struck him and some slapped him. But it got worse from there. Mark tells us, so Pilate, wishing to satisfy the crowd, releasing for them Barabbas, having scourged Jesus, and, and, and that's the Roman nine, kind of nine tails. They flogged people that were about to be crucified. 90% of people never even made it farther from this place because this scourging or this flogging would leave them so wounded and so bruised, unable to walk even, as the cat of nine tails would literally rip the flesh off their back. They scourged Jesus. And he delivered him to be 
crucified. And the soldiers led him away inside the palace, that is the governor's headquarters, and they called together the whole battalion. Now that was, the, that was just to, 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 to humiliate Jesus. Jesus was harmless. He didn't even open his mouth. And they bring a 600 strong group of men to stand guard as if Jesus was going to do anything. This was all done to humiliate and rub it in Jesus' face. This man who probably was unable to walk at this point or barely able to walk at this point. They brought these soldiers in to stand guard to say to, to say to his few followers that remain, look at your Messiah, look at your Savior. What is he able to do now? He had been slapped, he had been mocked, he had been clubbed, he had been flogged. They clothed him in purple cloak. They twisted together a crown of thorns and they put it on his head. And they began to salute him, Hail, King of the Jews. They were striking his head with a reed. They were spitting on him and kneeling down in homage to, to, to falsely worship him. And when they had mocked him, they stripped him of his purple cloak, put, on his, put his own clothes on him, and they led him out to crucify him. Now, here's the thing. All four Gospels give us that simple statement. They led him out to crucify him or they crucified him. But we don't get the gory details. And the reason why is because if you, would, if you were alive 2,000 years ago in the first century Roman world, you knew all too well what the details of crucifixion were because you would either watch someone you knew crucified or watch someone crucified just in the general public. Everybody in the town, everybody in the world knew what it meant to be crucified. They didn't need the details because they knew the details. But me and you, we, we, we haven't seen it. We haven't smelled it. We haven't heard it like they got to they would strip people with their clothes they would lay them out on a beam and they would go one by one from wrist to wrist to ankle to ankle they would nail them in their joints there they crucified him the romans had designed crucifixion to be so torturous they would give the people just enough leeway to lift up and get a breath of air just to make this the, the process last long enough to to make them suffer until either their lungs filled up with fluids or their hearts entered cardiac arrest. There they crucified him. John tells us. They delivered him over to be crucified. They took Jesus. He went out bearing his own cross, crawling up the hill to the place called the place of the skull. And there they crucified him with two others, one on either side and Jesus between them. In a sense, Jesus was between them because he is between all of us. He is there in our midst because we all deserve to be there in his place. Yet he took our place. Again, notice Isaiah says that all this happened for us. Is that what it reads? He was pierced for us. He was crushed for us. He was wounded for us so that we might be healed through him and by him. This is more than a physical healing. This is a healing of our souls, a healing of our hearts, a healing of what made us ungodly, what makes us unrighteous, what makes us not good, a healing of all that had gotten between us and God. Jesus is in between these two criminals to remind you and I that we can get back to God through and exclusively through him. Isaiah goes on to describe why this had to happen to Jesus. Verse 6. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. So are there, are there any questions? Why did he do this for us? 
He was oppressed, he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb led to the slaughter, and as a sheep before his shearers is silent, he opened not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment. And who will declare his generation? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgressions of my people he was stricken. They made his grave with the wicked, with the rich at his death, because he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. Yet verse 10 is, is so powerful. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He has put him to grief. So why did this happen? God put Jesus in our place. And Jesus took from God the punishment that we deserved. He was crucified for us. He was buried for us so that we might come to life through him. It was God's will. It was God's delight to do this to Jesus so that all the human race might be saved through him. And one of Jesus' number one followers who denied him and left him but came back when it all began to make sense, Peter wrote this years later. He himself bore our sins in his body on that tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness, that we might be cured from our sinfulness, from our far from God nature, that we might be cured and healed from that, that we might come back to life by his wounds. You have all been healed. So Peter says this to everyone that's listening. You, you might not know this. You might not admit this yet. You haven't received this yet. But this is true for all of you. By his wounds, you have been or you can be healed. Your heart that is broken. Your heart that is far from God. Your sins that are great. No matter what you've done or what's been done to you. No matter what you feel or what has been caused by your sin. And what you felt because of your sin. Or someone else's sins against you. You can be healed. Because Jesus was hung on your cross. Peter says, for you were straying like sheep, but now you have returned to the shepherd and the overseer of your souls. So what is Good Friday about? We were all straying because of sin. But now we can return. Since power in us, it's life in us, causes us to bear many stripes. I, I don't know the stripes that you bear. I, I don't know the shame and the guilt and the regret, the weakness and the wounds that you have. I, I don't know the chains that are on you, the things you can't break free from, the defeats you can't get over. Good Friday is God's reminder to us that those wounds that you have, those stripes that you bear, the things that have crushed you and the things that have buried you, whether you caused them, whether they were done by someone against you from your past and your present or even those things that haven't happened yet, they lose their power over you through the blood of Jesus. You can be healed you can be restored by him. If we simply realize this one thing, yes, our sin sent Jesus to the cross, but his love kept him on it. 
Yes, we are sinners, but God loves us and wants us to break free from that bondage. Good Friday is not about you feeling guilty for your sin. It's about you realizing, yes, your sin sent him there, but your sin has been washed away because of his love that was on display there. God says, I want to break you free from that guilt, free from that shame, free from the regret, free from the bondage, free from what has held you back. He wants to heal our hearts and heal our souls. The question is, and, and, and maybe you never, you've never thought about Good Friday like this, and, and, and I, maybe it's something you haven't thought about before in a long time, but I want to bring Good Friday into context for all of us because I think so many of us, and because of our lives are so complicated and so many things are, are, are always at play in us and our relationships and our situations, but, but this is the question I think Good Friday. If, if you were to ask God, if God were to talk to us from heaven, Hey, what do you want us to know about Good Friday? And, and what should Good Friday be, what should it bring to our minds? I think God, God's question to us would be, are we welcoming his healing power? And again, I'm not talking about the, 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 the paint, the things of this life. We're all going to face hardships and sufferings. We're going to fall down. That's the fallen world. That, that's the part of it. But that, our hearts, our hearts that are wounded, our hearts that are crushed, our hearts that are broken, are you allowing the healing power of Good Friday, the healing power of the cross, are you allowing that power to restore your heart, to heal your heart, to make you whole again? The sin that, that you've committed, the sins that's been committed against you, the things that are holding you back, the things that have buried you, the shame, the guilt, the regret, the bondage, the brokenness, are you allowing the power of the cross to set you free from all that? Are you placing yourself under the power of God to identify your wounds and supply your healing? Every Good Friday, God gets our attention with the message of the cross. And the cross is where our brokenness intersects with God's faithfulness. No matter how crushed we are, Jesus experienced everything that we've suffered, whether it was done for us or to us or by us, whether we did it to ourselves. Whatever shame or guilt or sorrow we bear, Jesus has felt that. He experienced all of ours and everyone else's so that you might know, so that we might know we are never alone in our brokenness. I don't, I don't know what keeps you up at night. Things that have been done to you, by you. Fear about what you might not can do or what might not happen the way you need it to happen in this life. I, I don't know what keeps you up at night, but I know this, all of us are kept up and all of us are haunted. All of us are discouraged and, and even deceived by the things that, uh, that, that have been done to us or things that have been done by us because we are all broken creatures and broken creatures break things. Jesus went to the cross and was left alone by God so that we might always have God on our side. Do you understand that? That Jesus was forsaken on the cross so that we might never be forsaken in this life and most importantly, and the next. No matter how isolated you felt in this life, Good Friday reminds you that Jesus has come to where you are. He wants you to trust that what he did was for you. And if you can trust him, if you see yourself in him and begin to see him in you, you can, you can, you can be healed from the pain and the sorrow and the baggage and the bondage. You can feel whole again or maybe for the first time. Now, we might can only look back in spirit, but thankfully, God knows we're all physical creatures who benefit from tangible reminders. Communion is God's gift to us to portray and communicate to us 
to carry to us and before us the gift of healing, the gift of salvation. Our blood carries in it a curse of sin, but Jesus' blood washes us and cleans us and cures us. Our bodies are broken, feeble, and fragile and set, are set to expire one day, but Jesus' body brings life to us. He was broken like us, but he rose again to make us whole like him. So what we're going to do is the worship leaders are going to come back up and sing to us one more song. If you know the words, sing along with them. But I want you to listen to the words that they sang to us. It's called Welcome the Healer. Because I believe this night more than any other night is about us welcoming God's healing and saving and restoring power in our hearts. And again, I don't know what holds you back. I don't know what shame and regret and guilt you bear. I don't know what you've done. I don't know what's been done to you. I don't know what anger you have. I don't know what sorrow you have. I don't know what emotions you have, but I know this. All of us are broken and all of us have been broken because this world doesn't leave any of us unscathed. But Jesus went to the cross to suffer the worst this world has to offer, to remind you and to remind me, you are not alone in your brokenness. You are not alone in your sinfulness because Jesus became our sin for us so that we might become his righteousness. All you have to do is receive from him the gift that he has made available to take by faith the gift of his blood and the gift of his crucified body that you might be whole through him. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the gift of healing, the gift of restoration that you give us through Good Friday. Thank you that though we are sinners, ungodly, not good, unrighteous creatures, Jesus went to the cross to make us whole again. It's not what we do, it's what he did. And even though what we've done is greatly offensive, what we've done is sinful, what we've done is break every law that you have, what we've done is make things miserable for us and many others, but you have done something for us. You have brought to us the healing that we cannot find anywhere or in anyone else. So God, I pray tonight that we might would hear your invitation, that we might would welcome the healer into our life, that you might speak to us tonight and open our eyes to the gift that you provided us, that we might receive from you the ultimate gift of salvation. Lord, if anybody here tonight has never been saved, I pray this invitation, they would take the opportunity to put their faith in Jesus. And for everyone else, they would renew their faith and trust anew in the healing power that Good Friday brings. We ask this in Jesus' name.